You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves in the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe and Vince. with this intro for a while. Anyone who's ever listened to any of my podcasts has probably already heard me speak out against violence against women. It's a horrific reality and one which has surrounded me my entire life as it has for a great many people. I've made my opinions clear often on our comic book podcast and I believe even on our movie podcast that I don't feel sexual assaults should be gratuitously displayed on the screen or in the pages of a book. Now some would argue that it has a right to be because it is a truth and that creators should be able to use that in their stories. Again, I disagree. I believe that the illusion of assault is horrific enough and it gets the point across. And finally, it can still be especially impactful. Now, Don't Nod has been threading a very fine needle with Life is Strange And having finished episode four, which we touched on last week, it's time to dive into that episode in its entirety, which of course means if you haven't played it yet, you may want to skip ahead Uh, quite a bit, as I think we'll be discussing this for a while. Now, we're going to actually do a little bit of a, a recap on, again, some of the stuff that we talked about last week, simply because Joe didn't get a chance to give his opinions on the starting of the game. So we'll start with that. Joe, I don't know if you had a chance, probably not, obviously, because of the week you've had to listen to last week's episode. But we got to the point where Max was doing her Scooby-Doo detective work in Nathan's bedroom. So basically, up until that point, what were your feelings on this episode? So the very first thing that I have to comment is, Holy shit, do they hit you with something heavy right at the beginning? When you start, when Max wakes up and it's the morning and she's going through and, and getting Chloe's pills. And then, like, even before you get to, to Nathan's room, where Chloe asks you to help her die, like, the fuck? Like, it, that is one of the, like, I, I literally had to stop at that point and I just sat there and I'm like, really? Like, it was very weird to me to have that sort of right up front, right at the beginning and sort of like you had all these happy things like, oh, I feel alive again. I feel like we're kids again. I'm, I'm so glad you're here. Now murder me. And it's like, really? Yeah, well, OK. And I and I get it. I don't. Get yeah. Wrong. OK. Yeah. I because I, I actually I, I, with my with my personal with, with my personal experiences, especially over the last couple of weeks, I get it. I yeah. understand what that's not to the full extent but it's just so heavy yeah and i get it but it was just it's and it it sets the tone for the entire episode uh in a way that is just i'm trying to think of how to phrase it I, i really i keep coming back to heavy it's just so emotionally laden and then even as you start getting towards the part where you start going through the dorm you get your way in and you start talking uh you start talking to like the groundskeeper Um, the weird guy and you start going into Nathan's room and you start poking around and you know that that wasn't the heaviest that this is going to be like, this is just ripe with foreshadowing as you're poking through the room. And one of the other things that hit me too was everything about it up to this point 
was just screaming like an episode of Twin Peaks. And we talked about that before where there's a lot of heavy influences on this. It's really evident yeah. right at the beginning. Like it is it is so heavy handed with it. It's not even I, funny. I believe my comment on Twitter as I was finishing the episode was the series started as Twin Peaks, but it's become true detective. <laughs> yeah. We need to find somebody who actually did kill her off. I would have thought that would have been you actually, Vince, but apparently we need to find like, somebody like I said, even it, more cold in, in theory, I, it's something I would have gone along with, but like I said, the fact that Max had to be the one to do the deed, I, I couldn't press that button. We, so, uh, I know one that, of my coworkers did, actually. Oh, yeah? Okay, well, and, don't spoil it. Don't spoil it, actually. Okay. Because, actually, I've been telling people on Twitter, too, and, and other people. <laughs> what do you mean? Oh, Vince, I thought you would be oh, the one. Oh, please. Morning. Really? Come on. You've lost the right to ever question that. Ever. Anyways, uh, I've been telling people, like, I actually am looking forward to episode five coming out, not just so that I can play through episode five, but so that I can start it again. Because I don't actually want to start it again until I've finished this Max, my Max, because my Max is a good girl. She's awesome. Mm -hmm. And I want to keep that going and have that in my mindset while I'm playing. And then once I'm done... I, hell, I might finish the episode and immediately start back at one again. I'm that excited to play a bitch, Max. Just make the, with the exception of saving Kate, because I have to save her to see what happens there. And I also want to try not going back in time and seeing what happens there. There's so many things that I'm dying to do. There, there's a lot of possibility here. And it's one of those, this is one of those games where I can see myself just like you going back and replaying and making different choices. After playing the first episode, I made a, a conscious decision that I was just going to play the game. I was going to choose the options that felt the right way to me. Mm -hmm. And that's what I was going to stick with. I wasn't going to rewind unless it made sense, unless it was something that would fit like the character or was a part of the puzzle solving. Otherwise, if I made a decision, I stuck with it. And I'm looking forward to kind of going back and playing through as well to choosing different options to see the different outcomes because I know some of them because I talk with a lot of gamers. I have a lot of gamers uh, that I work with and interact with on a daily basis that are also loving this game. Um, and I, I like comparing notes and it makes me interested to see how many different branching paths there are. It's going to be a little kind of disjointed as we talk about the episode because I'm trying to remember every single thing that happened. Of course, I can't remember everything in order. There's a lot of detective work in this. Yes, which I loved. Yeah, see, I, I I really enjoyed that change of pace of, okay, we've given you all these fun tools and like all this nice gameplay stuff. Now let's actually pay attention to everything we've they, been going over. They also had a very important characterization or, or character development in David as well, the stepdad, mm -hmm. where you start realizing that he like, and that's right at the beginning too where you might not, he might not be the person you think he is. Yeah. Yeah. We talked and, about that last week too. Yeah. I'm like that. That was very, like, I kind of saw that coming and I kind of wanted that to happen. It had to happen. That's the yeah. thing because he could not be the villain and we'll get to that later on. <laughs> That's the one thing I kind of have an issue with. I have this. a complaint about that. Yeah. As well. So, but, um, but no, I, I fully expected that David is going to be, coming around the only concern that i have now and i i doubt very much that dote not is going to fall prey to this but it can't be david who comes to the rescue 
these girls have got to save themselves. They've got to be the one to take care of business and put an end to this and not have a man come to the rescue. Because like we talked about it when we first talked about episode one, how they had such a hard time selling this game because it was a female protagonist and everybody wanted it to be Mm -hmm. a male. And meanwhile, I've been hearing, with the exception of a few reviews, which I thought sucked ass for episode four, nothing but yeah, there were some really weird reviews. Oh yeah, it it was, and uh, and so the fact is, is that we've got these strong female characters. We love that. We want them to succeed. We want them to be the ones to solve this. And I really hope that it's not David that comes to the rescue but later you've on. Already touched on one of my problems of this episode, and it's right after they come out of Nathan's dorm room. And who are they saved by? Oh, yeah. The boyfriend. You're pulling a gun. Who's the one that saves them? Warren. And it's a boy. It's the the boy who very clearly has interest in Max. And it's one of those things where, like, you can't intervene aside from to keep him from kicking his ass. Now, I will say this, though. I will say this, though. Yes, he's come to her rescue. And twice now, actually. Yes. But they're teenage kids. So we have to look at this not just in terms of what we want from them, but also what the reality would be. And teenage boys are stupid, macho jackasses that would do such things. Also, the only other reason that I'm not kind of really ticked about that is the fact that the girls themselves have had plenty of opportunity to be badasses as well. Mm -hmm. So when you look at how they dealt with Frank... And like, I mean, to the point of pulling a gun on him and things like that. And 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 also because of the type of character, especially Chloe, not Chloe, sorry, uh, Max is much more timid that, I mean, pulling a gun on Frank. And I actually kept that safe because it, it mm-hmm. was so out of character, but it was strength of character that caused her to do that. That actually is a very important decision in this episode, too. Yeah. So because of that. I don't have as much of a problem with Warren stepping in those couple of times. I I can appreciate what people are saying about that, but I kind of disagree just because I look at it more as the, what would happen in that kind of circumstances with, you know, a young boy. And the fact of the matter is they were in the boy's dorm. So of course it's going to be a boy that comes out and sees Nathan with a gun kind of thing. Cause that's where they were. So I didn't see it too much as, Oh, they're being rescued by him. They, yes, they were, but it, you know, I didn't have as much of a problem mm-hmm. with that one. Especially for me. Uh, it really started tying in with a lot of my own personal theories of where the story was going, because by the end of episode three and through the first half of episode four, I was really starting to suspect Warren. So the fact that he was, you know, demonstrating these brief alpha male flashes specifically against Nathan was kind of leading into that theory of he didn't want Nathan to fuck everything up for him. So I mean, it kind of tied in with my own personal perception of where the story possibly could have been uh, going. See, I didn't see that at all. I just saw him yeah. as a goofball teen. I mean, I mean, God, we were all there once. Which, I mean, would have made him a perfect, you know, possible villain at that point because he's so unassuming, but I'm, I'm with Roger on that one. Yeah, yeah no, I, I I can definitely see it, but it was, it's one of those things where, like, because I've been diving into, like, message boards and all kinds of stuff about this game, and there's a lot of stuff There's of some deep theories. Warren there. being really creepy, like, <laughs> see, scenes that, you know, he's like, you see him, he's, like, in the corner of the shot peeking around a bush through the window. And, really? like, if you, didn't, if you didn't catch the screen grab at that exact moment, you wouldn't have seen him. 
Oh yeah, he Ooh. lurks. He lurks a lot. Yeah. Okay. Well, I've missed a lot because I haven't seen that. Oh, it, I I didn't see it at all until people so, pointed it out to me. There's a crap. there's a YouTube video that actually like slows it down and points out like everywhere where you can see him, and it's ridiculous. The fact that this game, this little game out of nowhere, <laughs> is causing this thrills me to no end. It thrills me. Now let's go back to the investigative stuff because a lot of people actually I was reading were bored at that point and really didn't enjoy it. And I don't want to say that I disliked it, but I also don't want to say that I loved it either because I found that it was a little too much, especially when you're at that board and you have to look at every single piece several times unless you happen to have a notepad handy or a damn good memory and so i was kind of going through everything over and over again and trying to piece it together it didn't take that long but it was long enough that i felt that it it did kind of slow the story down it didn't grind it to a halt but it certainly slowed it down luckily as soon as you solve it it kind of ramps really fast back up. So it's almost as if don't not understood that, okay, we know we've really slowed things down and boom, let's get this show running now. And before that, of course, is when you have your meeting with Frank because your detective work, figuring out some stuff from the stuff you got from David and whatnot leads you to believe that if you can piece together the time that, Frank was selling drugs to different kids and, and to Nathan, especially you might be able to pinpoint where Rachel is. And so there's that glimmer of hope. Like you actually can do this. You can save this girl. And the meeting with Frank was very interesting. And I found it interesting because, and I, and I, and I noticed this at the end when I was looking at the options, which I shouldn't have done because I saw, <laughs> Holy crap. Look at all these different options just for That's- Frank. That's the one I was talking about where I rewound eight different times. I didn't rewind to get once. The, trying to get the ending I wanted out of it. I, I didn't rewind a single time. So, I just was, my max again is really quite well, that, nice. So my max was apologizing to him. She apologized well, yeah, I, for pulling out the gun. That's just the thing. He wrong choice. He gave and me that, the book. That's the thing. That's, that's the decision that haunts you. Like this episode, so many decisions. Well, but it doesn't. From it doesn't. Beginning. No, it didn't. I pulled the gun on it and it didn't haunt me. He he, he accused me of it, and I apologized. So, yes, it comes back, but you have the means to... How did your encounter end? He gave me the book, and later, hell, he even texted me and said, you're good, I can see why Chloe likes you, and hell, if you guys ever want a party, come on over. You managed to walk result, away without... But it took two tries. Wow. Yeah, and that was on my, my first try. My first time... Chloe shot the dog and Frank attacked her and and then Chloe shot Frank and I was like, oh man, that was intense. And I was going to leave it at that until I saw how it affected Chloe. And I was like, no, I, I can't let that stand. Can't do that to her after the wheelchair. Frank, but because of Chloe, like the way, like her accepting, she just killed somebody. I, I was like, no, I have to fix this and I have to find the right dialogue path to, to get to where I need to be. Huh? Wow. Joe, what was yours? Um, I wound up the best that I got from my options that I chose was that he pulled a knife, charged Max and stabbed himself in the leg. Holy crap, guys. <laughs> so you guys you don't ever apply for any ambassador jobs, so, okay? So, so, so Max is talking, right? So and I'm making Your all the diplomacy choices. I'm sucks. Be, I'm trying to be apologetic. I'm like, look, hey, you know, you were going after Chloe. I'm just I was just trying to protect her. 
you know, this is this is what happened. We're just, you know, we're just trying to figure out what happened and, and go from there. And so he pulls a knife and makes a move at, at Max and immediately Chloe intervenes and he wrestles and like Chloe wrestles with him for all of like two minutes. And then he just winds up stabbing himself in the leg as he falls in the exact same spot that you would have like, you know, shot him or whatever the case was. And he just like limps back into his RV, like uh, with the knife still in his leg, like, uh, well, shit, I'll I'm bye. Here's your shit. Did, Leave me alone. did you get rid of the dog in episode three then? Yes. Oh, see, that's why. Because any other altercation involves the dog running out and nomming on Chloe. And that's oh. why I said your decisions about how you uh-huh. handled every oh, yeah. interaction with Frank matter so much here. Because if the dog is dead, you don't get mauled. If the dog is alive, you're going to get mauled. Like, I know that much. Well, case in point, I actually made sure that the dog was still alive. Was that two or three? Episode. It was. It was episode three when you were okay. sneaking yep. into the RV. Yeah. So and you had the option to throw the dog, the bone into the yeah. street or into the parking lot. I did parking lot, obviously, and um, apparently not obviously, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> not on I my told- next playthrough. That doggy is going to be okay. roadkill. Now, now on, a scale, from, on a scale of Morden to dog. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm going to throw it onto the fucking beach. You're going to compare Morden to the dog? Come on. Hey. There's a comparison to be made here. No, there isn't. No, no there isn't. No, you have no. no emotional attachment to Pompadour besides that he's a dog. He's just a dog. That's it. Exactly. Morden was your best buddy. For how many Come games? Come on. Jesus. You how asshole. many games? Anyways, my point is. One and a quarter, apparently. <laughs> the um, He even at one point, because again, I'm, I'm choosing all the soft options kind of thing and apologizing and things like that. And at one point he even says, well... I mean, even the dog likes you, obviously. So, because the dog hasn't barked, hasn't come out, no nothing. And uh, and that kind of swayed him a little. And you even have the option at that point of saying, yeah, I know that you rescued that dog and other dogs, and that was really awesome of you. That's like where you- I goofed up and I called the dog by its name. Oh, that's Which he's good. like, oh, the only way you would know his name is if you've been inside my trailer. It's ah, like, God damn it. <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't do that. So, yeah, it's... Like you can really, well, you're kind of stroking his ego, but you're also finding out a whole other side to this character. And because I knew from episode three, what Rachel meant to him. Yes, this is a drug dealer. Yes, this is not a nice person, but there's still good in him. And obviously good enough that this woman, this girl, that was such a good friend to Chloe and meant so much to her and things like that would care for him. So there, there is good in him. And as you talk to him and you choose those options, he, he softens some and you really get to see, yeah, this guy rescues dogs. Yes. He cared for her. Yes. He gives the gun back to Chloe that he took from her. Like it's loaded and he gives it back to her once he's given the book with the, uh, the notes and stuff. So, there's a lot there in that one scene that you can accomplish. Mm-hmm. And I just lucked out that I, I didn't have to play with the timeline at all. And it just all worked out beautifully. And I didn't even think about changing it. So, yeah. So, <laughs> but I mean, that, that, that one scene just shows, you know, how much all uh, of the yeah. potential this game has, where not just your decisions in the moment, but going back hours and hours to other episodes, like it, it all does eventually come together. Which now, is impressive. Like, after, I have to say that. Oh, yeah. After you're done there. Now, well, I shouldn't say there. There. From there you go and you're doing your investigative work in Chloe's room. Once you're done there, you figure out, oh, shit, 
Nathan's grandfather, I think it was, had bought a farm Mm -hmm. way out in the middle of nowhere kind of thing. And that sounds like where they keep a girl. So sure, let's go. And as has been pointed out on the interwebs, that's kind of where a big shift in the story happens. And it turns from this. this, Where I start having problems. Yeah, it kind of takes a turn from this story, the detective work and things like that, and shifts a little bit into horror territory kind of thing. And horror thriller and disturbing horror thriller. Now, I'll say this right from the get-go. And I'm going to point blank say I read an interview, or not an interview, a review of this on on Polygon. Many people might have. And it's not to slam them or the person who did the review. But, I mean, they gave it a 6.5 this episode, which I think is ludicrous. But it was reading... There was there were two people who were talking about it, one being a woman, one man. And she was talking about how much certain aspects of what happens next bothered her and, and whatnot. Now, again, I'm not going to put myself in any other woman's shoes who has been assaulted or received or been around that or anything like that. I have my own experiences and I feel those are good enough to 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 go off of. And as I said, I feel that... And this is a personal thing. And it, and I'm, if we're watching TV, my wife and I, and there's a show that you know something's coming that ain't going to be good, screw it. We just turned it off. Fast forward or turn it off. Don't even need to see it. Whatever. Because it's far too often. But I don't have a problem with, again, alluding to something. Mm-hmm. And you can allude to something in a very big way and it be still disturbing. I don't have a problem with disturbing. Again, I write a lot, and some of the stuff that I write is disturbing, depending on who you ask and what their experiences are as well. So it's not that that I have a problem with. You can even be creepy and sleazy as long as it's not done in a gratuitous manner. Now, that is what she believes some of this was, and there's other things that I've read online that kind of some people are feeling the same way, and I actually strongly disagree, not because I'm a guy and I don't know what it's like and things like that. No, it's because I I don't feel that's what they did. And I don't feel there was a misstep here. Were there cliches? Oh, God, yeah. But there's been cliches throughout. And as we've said time and time and time again, a cliche in and of itself is not a deal breaker. It's how they handle a cliche. And if you do a good enough job, fine. So when you go to the barn, obviously, you're not just going to find some hut off of the barn where this is taking place. You're going to find a very bad room. And that, that's, that's just the way it is. And when you're looking at, you know, billionaires, it's going to be a very well-designed bad room <laughs> with very high-tech security. So while it was... You know, creepy and disturbing and, yes, cliched. I was willing to accept that cellar fortress thing, bunker, to a certain degree, you know. Because and, also, you also have to remember they established that one of the ways the family made their money was in selling survival bunkers. Yeah. Like, it, so, it's not just something like, oh, random bunker out of nowhere. Here's an interesting thing, and this I'll come back to this later. Did you guys notice anything off in that basement from what you expected besides, like, I mean, going down there, you kind of expected a certain amount of things. Mm-hmm. Did you see, see anything that didn't seem out of place on That's the one point in the game where I didn't meticulously investigate everything. 
I looked around I, I and I found to progress the I'm going to make a recommendation. Went, okay, I'm out of here. See, I read through I looked at everything in that room and I read okay. all the notes of the the reports for like there's stuff that's just conveniently there for you to see so that it's like, "Oh, and then you pick up different things on Nathan's, um, the, the the psychiatrist report, the stuff on the computer. Kind yeah, of thing. I, I caught that so, stuff. Yeah. yeah. So and there's different things like the, the 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 stuff on the other side before you go through the kind of the plastic and whatnot. And there's a few things here and there. Are, what are you referring to, Joe? So there's a bunch of things in here that are incongruous with what would be. I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. I figured out something at the end that I don't want to ruin for you guys quite yet. Um, but there's a lot of incongruous things. The state of the photos um, are one thing. Um, the fact that why would Nathan have all of that information up and readily accessible? Mm-hmm. Like, why would he have that there in plain sight? Because and the even, door is on, locked. But here's the thing that you, you understand the door is locked, but that seems a little weird that somebody who has that much emotional trauma, that somebody who's that jacked up would be keeping letters from his dad or letters from his psychiatrist. Yeah, the letters from the dad, I could understand, but the but letters the from the psychiatrist, that's to what the dad. Me. Yeah, because but here's the thing. Right. So if the dad's trying to, to disavow like and the, 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 it's the tone of the notes. Right. So the tone of the notes are, you know, to, from the dad to the son are. You're going to harness your destiny. Everything's going to be fine. You're going to be great. You are the next successor of this family. There is not a damn thing wrong with you. All of a sudden now there's letters from the psychiatrist saying your son is fucked up. Your son is really fucked up. And that seemed really out of place because. Okay, you miss some things then. Because there's other letters that you see from the father to the son. Sure. Where you realize, oh. Where he's like, they're kind of in me. this Don't together. Don't call me when I'm at work. You just well, have not to just get that. through this and not but fuck this up for the family. There's other things too. Like there's the, the impression that I got after some of what I'd read was that the father is essentially sculpting the boy into his image and that the father's been doing the same kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That's what I was thinking too. Yeah. So that's why it made sense. And that's why, and see, that's the other thing too. It's people are sliming Nathan as this typical kind of quote-unquote villain where they take somebody with a mental illness and make him a, a villain and that it's not good it's a bad image for people with mental image and to that i would say anybody who would do this kind of thing is mentally ill <laughs> okay so, so it's not all mentally ill people that are like this and, and but some and, and will be no and i agree with that but here's the thing this is where i start having a different theory right when I start, oh, I got lots of notes. This, when I start going out to this place, <laughs> I actually don't think Nathan's the bad guy. When I start looking around, I'm like, a lot of this is too convenient. Well, I don't think he's the villain. I, I think he's the patsy. I don't think he's the patsy, yeah. but I don't think he's the main villain either. But I do think he is a protege of types. So, oh, that's that's also a possibility yeah. with what I saw later. So, and then of course you see the binders that has the pictures of various girls who have obviously been abducted. Binders full of women. Yeah. Now this was another thing where that was brought up on that, that review where they were saying that it's just turning this into a gratuitous, you know, people are just going to start episodes of law and order or criminal minds to know what gratuitous is. And so (laughs) this was short of that line. It was way short. First of all, again, the pictures Though horrible, there's not a ton of them, and 
you as the player get to decide if you're going to continue to look through the pictures. Mm -hmm. And if you are the type of gamer that, okay, I just have to see everything that's in here so that I know everything that's going on. Maybe you muscled through to look at everything in case there were clues. Personally, I did not. But Mm -hmm. the assumption is made in this review that everybody's just going to look through all because we're all sleazebags kind of thing. I'm paraphrasing. Please don't be mad at me if you're listening to this. I doubt it very much. But so I, I disagree. We have that in ourselves that we can choose not to. And so if you're the type of person that is offended by this, you're not going to look through it. You will be offended. Mm-hmm. Job done. Dot, don't nod. Thank you very much. And that's what it did. It it freaked me out. And it was like, holy. Fuck. And I just looked at the, 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 no, not the Chloe. Yeah, no, not the Chloe. There was the, the Kate one and there was an empty one for Victoria. And right. I stopped and I went, Shh, that's enough for me. I, yeah, I, I do like, not want to see like, anymore. I looked around the room like, okay, some pills, more photos, not interested. Exactly. I, so, And I'm one of those people that I went through everything. Ah, uh, See, I, I just could not and would not, not. Now, I don't say that that's bad that you did, but it's just, again, the choice was there for whoever was playing to decide mm-hmm. as per their, level of, their level of comfort. And we all have different levels of comfort. So you can't blame see, them for putting it there. It's not even my level of comfort. It was, do I want Max to see this? There's that as well. There's that that, as that well. was, ahead. like I said, that's, that and was seeing. so much about my decision-making throughout all these episodes. Not what would I do, is what would I want Max to experience? And for me, it wasn't a matter of what Max would experience. It's what, what Max would choose to endure to get to the mm-hmm. bottom of the mystery. That's and I'm like, point. you know what? Max is already all in at this point. And that's what I was, I was like, fuck it. I'm looking through everything. Okay, I don't want to know what's in all, but are there I any worthwhile clues in the other ones? Yes. Okay, what are they? Here's your chance. Okay, so I I don't want to ruin it. I, I, no, 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 I, no. I I'm not going to go through them, so I don't care. You can't ruin anything if it's just speculation. <laughs> it's not speculation though, because I have confirmation later on in this game. In this, in this. Well, if, if it's something that happened in this episode, then it's. I, I don't think anything you could possibly say would qualify as a I will, spoiler for Rock. I will. Or the only thing I will say at this point, I'll wait till we get to the end. Okay. Um, I will say is that a lot of the photo compositions were very reminiscent of things that I saw earlier in the game. Ah. Oh, okay. I see. I see. So I started looking at that and I'm like, we're probably on the same page of where familiar. you know that. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, anyway. because, because I remember now, yeah, when they were like, when they were going, when you were going through Nathan's room and Max commented on, Nathan's photography style and yeah there was a definite difference in that style that yep and because when you go back to it and I started thinking about it I thought about where I've seen pictures of the same composition before Mm -hmm. and it dawned on me and it made me very irritated (laughs) (laughs) and I'll explain why when we get to the end all right all right so of course part of the clues that you do find leads to where uh, Rachel might be buried. And so Chloe's in a rush to get out. I actually, I should have ran out immediately after, but I thought I I need to look around the room real quick in case there's an important clue somewhere that I missed. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of quickly scanned everything and and ran out. And, And then you take off back to the junkyard 
once again where I got lost. <laughs> At one point, she's like, where are you going? And I'm going, sorry, I took a wrong turn. <laughs> and uh, should have made the right turn at Albuquerque. It, that's exactly what I was thinking. Um, that was – like, I mean, you're talking about a powerful moment when Chloe asks Max to kill her. And, of course, it is one of the powerful moments. But when they find Rachel in the ground, it was a shot to the chest. It, it, there was like physical discomfort and like just because you, you, despite the horrific nature of everything that had happened, of what you think is going to happen, what must have happened to her before she died, all these things, like you're like still a glimmer of hope. Like just, uh, and part of that is also we've been conditioned, especially as a North American audience, that we get happy endings for movies, for games, for TV shows too often. And they'll often change a bad ending just because it's not reviewed well um, beforehand and they'll make it happy just so that Mm -hmm. the audiences are happy. So we miss out on a lot of dramatic moments just because our society has been conditioned to want happy endings and let's not take that out of context please and um and so there was that glimmer of hope that okay she's gonna be alive and yes the three I, of them I can had take no off. hope at any point really she's i gonna be alive. i did i had a little bit but e- but even then still once you find her it was Heart powerful punching. yeah very 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 well done and to the point of again it's not just that Finding the body, but you can still recognize it's kind of maybe her and it's wrapped up nicely. No, she's decomposed. It's disgusting. She's Chloe's throwing up because she's so upset and because of what she's seen. They're talking about how bad it smells. It's visceral and real and powerful. And, and wow, like, I mean, it really hits hard. So, and then from there now, you are heading off. And oh, I'm trying to remember now, is it? Do they immediately go to the party? Yeah. Yep. So so they go to the Vortex party. Because at this point, they're like, we have to save Victoria. Yeah, Yeah, because they find her empty binder. Yeah. Yeah. So head to the party, which that's one of the few things as well that I kind of have a problem with as well, just from a storytelling standpoint, because this party is going on at the school, (laughs) at the pool, and the teacher is there, and you're thinking... This just wouldn't happen. Like the, a kid just died, let alone the fact that this party wouldn't be happening there. But the kid just freaking killed herself like the week before or a few days before. I can't remember how much time has passed between. Like it just it wouldn't happen. And to me, when something like that happens where you're like the entire time you're thinking this just wouldn't happen. It's it's it doesn't make sense. It irks For me. For me, it was more the Peterson money is more important than anything else. And if Nathan's daddy says his son's going to have a party, his son's going to have a goddamn yeah, party. I still didn't agree with it, but so you get well, the party. I mean, it fits you, the character. It fits the the sociopath, so to speak. Yeah. That, that so, emotional disconnect. Okay, so then what happened with Warren with you guys when you bump into him and he's plastered? Was there any creepy stuff with you guys in? Not really. Okay. It was yeah. more well, like, you guys have been, well, you, Vince, especially been researching the creepy Warren stuff. So I don't know if there was any <laughs> stuff that I missed there. Well, it was one of, it, 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 at the time, it didn't strike me as anything weird, but it was later on because what they established was in the main party, there was no alcohol. The alcohol was behind the VIP section. So that's why once I got back there and I yep. was like, wait a minute. How the hell did Warren get drunk? I didn't even There's think no of that. There's no way he would have been let in back here. 
So even Unless still, I'm worried about that kid. I didn't I, even think I have that. a theory. Because there, <laughs> no, there was no alcohol in the pool area. What, what's your theory, Joe? Um, I think Warren is part of it, and I think that that, because I got that same thing. I'm like, I think Warren is framing Nathan. I No, and I, I again, we'll I get to that later. That. I think he's part of it. And here's the thing. So I noticed that exact same thing where, like, there's no liquor. There's no booze. And he's got a plastic cup. He's not got a bottle. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have, like, a can of beer that he bought at the store, or got off somebody and was drinking outside or in the back of a car or whatever the case is. He had a fucking plastic cup. The same plastic cup that was being dispensed to the people in the VIP section. And nobody he, else outside of that VIP section was Nobody drunk. else did, exactly. And nobody else had those cups. Nobody else had anything to drink outside of there. So he was definitely back there, which means he was on the list. Which means that if he was on the list, Nathan Prescott put him on the list. Or Victoria put him on the list. Hmm. Maybe I just blew his mind. I honestly, I hadn't even noticed that. Because once I left him outside, see... I haven't done as much research, apparently, on Warren as I should have. I just thought of him as the goofy boy that that's, has that's a crush what I on Matt. Yeah. I saw so, one too many things to make me think otherwise. See, I didn't. So at that point, I'm like, okay, well, whatever. He's just it was just plastered too many and I let it go. Like, it was just too many odd coincidences with him that are like kind of like there is something not right. And it, yeah, four episodes in, you notice things like that. Or at least, I mean, Vince and I do because yeah, we're I cynical do. bastards. Hmm. So, anyways, you go into the uh, the party. You, I'm assuming you guys talk to the coat check girl. You yep. actually can't not talk to her if you try to walk. Yeah, in, well, I tried. Yeah, yeah. So, because I had to yeah. get back in to take a picture and I had to go through that freaking conversation over all over again. I was like, God <laughs> damn it! <laughs> so, yeah, not much news there. Only to find out that everybody's agreeing with you about Nathan, and uh, and that's pretty much Ooh. it. Although she did mention that she didn't see the double moon. Hmm. I didn't get that. So in my conversations with her, one of the things, one of the options was she starts talking about, you know, you've seen so calm and cool, like you're invincible this week, like you have superpowers. And one of the options that pops up there uh, is... See, I chose the other the other way. Yeah, and see, that option that pops up after that is double moon. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm really fucking curious because Chloe didn't seem to notice it when I pointed out that there is a double moon. Let's see what she says. And it was literally... I'm pretty sure if I saw a double moon, I would believe 100% that the world was ending tonight. Hmm. Huh. I didn't ask her that. And then you just kind of like, oh, shit. And then, like, it was one of those things where it's like, and then, again, it's it's weird because I have, a like, with her, it's I'm not sure. But at that point, it's like I'm starting to think that there's multiple timelines converging and that's the whole end of the world. Oh, just don't even get me into the, uh, the, the crazy theory I have after we're done. <laughs> oh, we're going to talk, Vince. We're going to talk. <laughs> okay, so you go into the regular party room area and I'm trying to remember if I noticed much going on out there. I talked to a few people, but I didn't come across much that was interesting tried to get For into me, the party it, was, it wasn't the, the conversations themselves that were interesting but it's one of those things where looking at it from the outside from a narrative standpoint pretty much every interaction you had with the character seemed like the finale of that character story yes yes and it was like why why is this all being resolved at the end of episode four like it made me really uncomfortable like it's it's outside of the narrative but i think it's one of those things where 
don't not kind of knew what they were again, doing. They're they're playing yeah. yeah, they're playing with the players at this point, not the characters. Like it made me really really uncomfortable. I was like, okay, why is everybody's personal you know, storylines being resolved. Why is everybody finally saying, oh, it's so great that you're here, Max. I don't know how things would have turned out without you. It made me really uncomfortable as a player, not as not as my Max character. The bathroom made me uncomfortable. Well, yes. <laughs> the co-ed bathroom. That was enough for me to go, hey, that's just wrong. <laughs> that's, and that's, that wasn't an uncommon thing for me. Like, that was very punk, like, college thing. So I'm not... Um, and then you have, you try to get into the VIP. They won't let you in. Well, although they didn't let me in. Is there any way on, you can get I was get on it? the list. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Man, how'd you manage that? I had a really good conversation with, uh, what was her name? Victoria. No, not Victoria. Uh, one of Victoria's... Underlings. Oh, underlings. God. Yes. It's not Brooke. Brooke was the drone girl. But yeah, Brittany? Was it? Whatever. What, whatever. But yeah, I, I had uh, used my rewind powers to kind of trick her. Not trick her, but get closer to her so that I became friends with her. And she put me on the list. She's like, we're going to do it. We're going to give you a makeover. We're going to do all this fun stuff. And I'm like, okay, great. So you get in the party and you're on the list. And what's hilarious is even though I was on the list, the chick behind the counter wouldn't let me. She's like, there's no way Max Caulfield is on the list. So I went and got my new best friend, Brittany, and just she chewed her the oh, hell yeah. out. Oh, that's that awesome. Hilarious. That is awesome. I had to sneak around the pool and then the, the speaker winds up going in the water and <laughs> it was it was horrible. I actually just rewound at that point. You have to, I think, rewind at that point even. Oh, well, so you have to around the pool, yeah, everybody in the pool. Yeah, so I rewind and then I, I snuck in and then I just, at that point, I, I beelined for Victoria to warn her. That, See, I saved her for last. I didn't. I, I actually talked to everybody else after. The, the, for me, the important thing was we got to save her, so I went to her. And it was an interesting conversation, and I liked it because far too often in games where there is a morality system like this, like what we saw in Mass Effect, a lot of times what you're going to do is you're going to go all one way or all the other. Mm -hmm. Because in many games, you don't reap the benefit of those choices. there's, There's a mechanical... There's a, yeah, there's a reason for doing it. Whereas in this game, there's no reason. It's the story. So you're allowed to, at one point, be a little bit friendly with her and then later be more stern and things like that and just choose what feels right in the moment. And that's one of the things that I love about this. Oh, I went I went full frenemy. Oh, see, I actually was, like, talking to her and I was being kind to the point Let's- where there was even the, listen... We don't have to be enemies. Doesn't mm-hmm. mean we have to be friends, but we don't have to be enemies. Well, but you I mean, are friends. in dan- danger, and this is wrong. And she just wouldn't hear it. Yeah, she blew me off too. See, and I got through to her. Really that. awesome. Like, so, so because of some of the the conversations that I had with her previously. Yeah, I think um, previous interactions yes. definitely weigh pretty heavy. Because I, I told her, like in a lot of my previous interactions, like you're not a. I was like basically like all my other conversations were. You're not really a bitch. You're just caught up in this blah, 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 blah. And so later on, when I had this conversation with her, I told her that. I was like, look, I chose that same option. We don't have to be friends, but we don't have to be enemies. And she's like, you know what? You've been nothing but straightforward with me. Like, yeah, I'm pretty I, sure taking that picture of her covered in paint kind of screwed me. Yeah, that screwed that, me too. That was the big one because she was yeah. like – and that was the next line. She was like, you could have been a huge bitch to me with the paint thing, but you weren't. So I think I can let you boss me around right now. Hmm. Okay. Well, inter- so what does Joe. she do? Does she leave then? 
No, she doesn't. That's the thing. She stays. <laughs> so it doesn't matter then. But 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 that's but, such a Victoria thing to do. But no, it, her her next thing is she's like, "Thank you for warning me. I have people I can go to for protection. I think I'll be okay. Thank you for the heads up." Hmm. So then, yeah, I went and spoke to everyone after that kind of thing, and I can honestly say I didn't think that any of the other conversations, at least the way that they went for me, mm-hmm. did anything at all. They were, no, they were all superficial. They were all the, a waste of time, essentially. The, the only one that, I don't want to say liked, but like felt uh, like interesting at least was with Brooke, because it was obvious from so many other conversations that Brooke, Drone Girl, had a crush on Warren, and she was really jealous of Max for that. So mm-hmm. I had convinced the other nerdy kid to go, I forget his name, and come to find out like they had kind of struck up a budding romance between the two of them and i was like oh okay that's nice but yeah the rest of them was just daniel yeah the rest of it was just like i said it was just resolution like it wasn't any development but i said as a player it made me really uncomfortable so then you bump into the teacher what's his name again Mark Jefferson. Jefferson. So you bump into him, which again, here's another point where like kids are holding drinks in front of him and he's just like, eh, whatever. And, uh, although, you know what? I say that, but these kids are grade 12. Other than Jefferson, I kind of, at that point I bought him as, you know, the cool teacher that'll let the kids drink. They're under supervision. Yeah, whatever. And plus, they're they're probably I think they were like grade twelve at that point, so they're well, I mean eighteen ish, yeah, seventeen, forget, eighteen. Whatever. Don't forget though, too, he wasn't in the VIP section. Yes, he was. That's where yeah, I he bumped was. into. He had was to get he? to the yeah, he had to get through to the, the VIP stage. section to get to the stage. That's where I bumped into. Oh, him. that's right. In fact, Chloe Shit. and I bumped into him at that. I thought point. it was outside of that. Never mind. Yeah, Chloe was just she wanted to get the hell out of there to go find mm-hmm. Nathan. And meanwhile, I'm talking to Jefferson, and she's like, "Okay, we're going now," kind of thing, and. uh and then as you're leaving, I thought that the choice that I'd made, we were just going to leave and miss the announcement of who won the photo contest because right. they made such a big deal about that throughout kind of thing. But you slow down and you watch. And, of course, Victoria wins. Um, and that was one of those things where I was like, eh, I, okay, whatever. I, I, I didn't see much point to that either. And I don't say that in a bad way. I'm not saying like it, they should have dropped it. It's just, it's window dressing at this point. And I think it's one of those things that in retrospect has a little more importance than it did at the time. Even then, I, it, yes, because of what with him. Yeah, but yes. it's like, it's still, yeah. So anyways, you see Victoria win and give her a little acceptance speech and, and, and whatnot, which, Eh, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you take off from there. Now, at that point, where are you hidden? I'm trying to remember. You head outside. You go, what's, yeah, I, I, know I think that. Chloe you got a text, text, right? Yeah. She gets a text from Nathan. Yeah, 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 yeah. Everything's going to be gone. Everything's going to be gone. I'm glad you got well, to see yeah. her one last time. Yeah. Yeah, that was creepy as shit. And so that's when you beeline back to the junkyard. So here's my fun point about that, right? Here's my question. Don't they have Nathan's cell phone? They had one of his cell phones. But I'm just really curious, like... Because I don't think Nathan would keep his primary cell phone in a Ziploc bag behind his couch. Yeah, exactly. Maybe. You never know. I'm just saying, like, it was one of those weird (laughs) things. Nathan is a weird kid. No, no, that's his burner phone because his father even said, use the burner phone when you are Mm -hmm. calling me. Like, that was one of the emails, I think. 
was saying, it like, was, don't yeah, use your burners. regular cell phone when you're calling use the burner phones. And that's when I went, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> that's weird there. That's not, that's not good. And that's when I was seeing red flags for the father, especially. So, yeah, so then you get to the junkyard and, of course, you go. The body is still there and you see the needle hit her in the neck. This is another point where, again, in this review where it's like she doesn't have the control to stop it and she's trying to rewind, but she can't Mm -hmm. and she should have the power. And I'm like, no, she got injected. She was drugged. She can't use it. It makes sense in the story. So, and it makes sense in terms of what we are imagining might be coming that, you know, this time thing is not as unique to her as maybe we think it is kind of thing. So the fact that, well, surprise, surprise, Jefferson is the one that's there is not that big a surprise, Mm -hmm. but I still wasn't thrilled with it. I don't know about you guys. Chloe getting shot was like, whoa. But at this point, time has been so willy-nilly that even her getting shot wasn't as shocking as I think it should have been. You know what I mean? Mm Yeah, I mean, and and I think part of the problem is, is that with the whole time thing, like it, like it had that moment of gravity in the so fact that, you know, okay, she's drugged and she can't do it, but it's like, okay, well then once it runs its course, she's just going to do it. So it's like, it doesn't have that same gravity of feeling as like Kate. So to See, speak. I think that Kate has more of an impact a because of the circumstances of what happened, but also because of the fact that even without the powers, you could have prevented it. Yeah. But not just that, but it was a lot earlier. We're so far along now at the end of the fourth episode and we've seen so many time freaky deaky things happening all over the goddamn place that, I mean, we saw Chloe in the wheelchair. We saw her asking to be killed, all this other stuff that when she is killed, it, the impact is not as strong as if that had happened a lot earlier on in the story. I feel. It still was impactful. I don't want to say yeah, it wasn't. It, was it really was. You're crap, looking, but it was like, like oh my God, she's dead forever. Exactly. Because there's that, mm, that power's going to come back at some point or something's going to happen. So, but going back to Jefferson, that was the big, I mean, it felt like Don't Nod was, you know, trying to reach under your feet. And it's like, oh, you're standing on this rug. Guess what? And for me, it didn't feel like that because, and 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 it could be my fault that I didn't see enough clues throughout. But for me, it was one of those, eh, that just doesn't feel right. It feels like you're trying for the red herring without having left enough clues throughout to make it make sense when it actually happens. And I don't like that kind of storytelling. But again, going back to my, my other point, it could just be that I missed a lot of clues that I should have picked up on. And there, there was a lot of um, telltale moments, I guess you would say, with it. Um, one, his interaction with Victoria. And that was a big one for me. When you creep up in the previous episode and you listen in on their mm-hmm. conversation, he's a little too interested in her, even for a younger, famous teacher-style guy, right? Um, yeah, but we've kind of probably all seen teachers like that. I know I have both men yeah, and women. Yeah, but it's one of those things where it's... It, it didn't strike me as weird at the time, but again, in retrospect. Yes. But it, it did strike me as a little bit odd at that time, though, because it's like... I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. 
it was just really creepy old manish almost in a way that was like it made me and I, I think I commented on this on the last time we talked about it when we talked about episode three. It made me uneasy back then. And mm-hmm. then seeing this, it's like seeing the empty binder, seeing that. Like that's when I knew and I and and I knew it was him, right? Like I knew he was involved when I got to the basement. Yeah, and that's that was, what I was that was good on about. you to pick up on that, that because I started looking stuff. The, the pictures were the same style that he shot, the same style that he was talking about, the ones that he got famous for. They were not like Nathan's. They were not like that at all. And I'm like, you know what? He's involved. If he and I'm and here's my theory, at least from what I saw here, is yes, he's the ringleader, but I honestly believe that Warren is his protege mm-hmm. and I think Nathan is the scapegoat. I'm pretty sure I, I'm right there with you now when mm-hmm. Warren is setting up Nathan. Yep, because he's known they've known each other for how long? He knows about his mental instability. I mean, he's part of the Vortex Club, so and if Victoria knows about how unstable Nathan's been, they're going to talk. It's a click. They're going to talk about their members. There's going to be rumors. There's going to be things like that. Stuff like that doesn't stay private, especially in high school. Come on. You confide in one person and that it's going to slip, and especially when they're popular and have liquor. He's a, he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's setting up for. Those flashes of the alpha male, the stalking of Max. Like, and let's call it what it is. It's fucking stalking. Yeah, it, absolutely. And you pick up on those all those little things. I fully expect episode five to start with um, the teacher walking towards Max all chained up. So Jefferson walking towards her with Warren right there. I think it's going to be one of those things where he's kind of shadowy in the background because yeah. she can't focus on him. And then Something like eventually that. there will be that moment. Yeah. I'm just curious how the time displacement mechanic is going to come into play in ah. the fifth episode and okay. how everything works Theory together time. for this. Okay, here, Vince, you're up first. Here's where Vince can step in. And again, uh, some thanks to the great people online that have captured a lot of screenshots of this. If you look back throughout a lot of the episodes... Because we've seen throughout so much of the game, there's graffiti everywhere in the bathrooms, in Chloe's truck. Like, And at the time, it seems a little innocent. But again, in retrospect, you look back at it, there's a lot of foreshadowing to that. Oh, yeah. So I think what we're going to get in episode five is a lot of Max trying to retrace her steps, leaving clues for herself. Yep. And the weird old lady behind the diner is Max. Yep. I'm right there with you. I never met that damn woman. (laughs) This is pissing me off because if that's what it is, then I'm going to miss out on a huge plot point. Because even when we were talking about episode three, I was saying at the time, it's weird that Max and this weird old homeless lady are just conversing with each other so easily. Like, so casually. So, yeah. yeah. Damn it. That's going to piss me off. And the, the weird old lady knows so much about Nathan, about the town, about the weather, about what's going on. It's all coming together. Mm-hmm. So that's your theory as well, Joe? As I was going to go the exact same place because that's what I've been like. Everything I've been seeing, everything I've been looking at, everything I've been digging up as well is all leading me to that same conclusion. See, none of that explains the actual reality of why, however of why this is happening kind of thing. And that to me is the biggest one because it has to make sense. What's that? 
that's the climax. That's that's the end of five. No, I know, but you would think that there had been more clues, which, once again, obviously, we've all missed so clues. The but- theory is also, I mean, there's also another theory out there that it's not actual time dilation or anything along those lines, but we have an um, unreliable narrator story mm-hmm. that all of this is existing inside of Max's head. Um, and she's I don't going buy that back anymore. And replaying it all out, like it would be really cliche, but that's one of the theories that has a lot of steam. I think it's one of those things where what we're going to come down to, and there's going to be a choice at the end. Mm-hmm. You can save the town, save Chloe, but everything else has to happen. Rachel Amber still has to die. You have to let Jefferson and Warren go free. Or if you want to bring them to justice, there's going to be a consequence. Yo, like yeah. Chloe will have to be dead or something like that. Like, because something because we've gravity. seen we've seen so many times that remember, that's how the story started with saving Chloe's life. There's going to be a point She's where you're going to have to choose. You're going to have to choose to either let go of Chloe or keep her safe and have there be dire consequences from it. Yeah, that I fully expect. That I, because it, all this fucking around with the timeline is obviously having a big effect on the world. Yeah. And it has that sort of moral thing of you because you saved Chloe, you jumpstarted all this because you were basically selfish, right? And like it, it sort of has that feel to it where that would be one hell of a punch where it's like, well, I wanted my best friend to live or I saved my best friend's life. So fuck the world. And it's kind of one of those cool little things. Okay. Well, I warned you that we would probably be talking about this for (laughs) a while. Now we did have a few other things that we actually are going to touch on briefly. We're not going to spend too, too much time because I don't want to keep everybody too long, but we did get some interesting news today too. It just dropped today and we found out about the next game that Runic Games is working on. And even though we didn't find out a ton about it, this alone was enough to get me really kind of excited, especially seeing as part of it's going to be playable at PAX. So Vince, I'm going to let you take this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I picked up on, I think it was on their Twitter or somewhere. Runic Games was teasing that Twitter. their new game is ready to be shown off soon. I was like really excited. I was expecting the reveal to be at PAX, but they've given us a nice little cookie leading into PAX to get us even more excited. And it's for their new game called hob and i can only imagine the desire within runic games to stop making diablo games (laughs) so they said like we've been doing this for 20 years now where we wanted to move on to something else uh how they were working on uh like a space simulation game that uh they were enjoying but uh tim travis baldry and eric schaefer two of the founders of the company decided to split off and make their company double damage games to kind of finish that uh, idea and make it into a game called Rebel Galaxy, which looks pretty interesting. So Runic was stuck with, okay, what do we do now? We have to kind of restructure the company. You know, two of our founders are gone, one of which was Tim's brother. <laughs> so I, and it it kind of has that feeling of it wasn't completely amicable, but that's beside the point. And what they've come up with is this game that is, the best way I can describe it is it's The Legend of Zelda as if it was designed by Team Eco. Because you have this game where it's 
kind of a sci fantasy sort of look they're going with here where we've seen like the world constructing itself uh, in like a mechanical way. But of course, you know, there's still a lot of fantasy elements, especially in the art style and the character designs. They're saying it is a single player only experience with absolutely no dialogue, no text to read. Your interaction with the story and with the world is determined 100% by gameplay. And they're talking about, you know, how you go through and since it's a Zelda style game, you're going to be upgrading your character, earning new abilities. But there's also pretty much no interface in the game. There's a health bar and an energy bar of some sorts, mana, whatever you want to call it. That's kind of blue. Yeah. And everything is very minimalistic. So it's all done through gameplay, through emotional responses and I'm really interested to see what they can do with this, not just as a game, but as a storytelling experience. I think they got some ex- some some influence there from Journey as well, that kind mm-hmm. of thing, because Journey was so successful as well. The The only thing that I – not that it bothered me, but it was funny when they're talking about – because I was reading some of the interviews as well too on other sites, and they're talking about the um, like the fact that it doesn't have any narrative. There's, the NPCs don't talk and all this, and I'm thinking – it almost comes off as a cheat so as not to hire any writers as well kind of thing. <laughs> Let's just well, make this experience. Company. I mean, if they're going to have that problem, at least find a creative way around, around it. it. Yeah, I'd still and I would rather have writers. something like that than terrible writing. Yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah, but they, the writing is pretty good. They, they did good with Rune, uh, with uh, Torchlight and Torchlight 2. So. But, but yeah, There's no, I am excited company to play. for Torchlight 2. Yeah. So. I would love to. This better come out on console. I want to play this shit on PS4. I don't play this on my freaking PC. It it it, de- it definitely feels like a game that's going to be yeah. controlled yeah. for me. Although I could play it in four or five K. Oh my god, <laughs> god, that'd be awesome. Okay, let's move on. Uh, you can Disney- always plug in an Xbox controller to your PC. Yeah, really. <laughs> uh, a little bit more news from for Disney Infinity three as well three This is because Disney had a massive freaking. Showing, talking about a crap load of different uh, they're, stuff. They're their annual D23 Expo, yeah. Yeah, so they talked mostly about movies, mostly, of course, about the Star Wars movies coming out and got a crap load of information there. But they were talking about Infinity and how they're pumping in a lot more Marvel into it as well. And they're doing like Marvel battlegrounds that are going to be coming in. It was pretty cool because they're, they're tossing in the stuff from the newest Avengers with like Ultron and stuff like that. So I thought that was kind of cool, like the Hulkbuster stuff and all that. So like they're really running with this Marvel ball. Now that they pick them up, it's like, holy crap, they're not messing around. They're doing all kinds of stuff. It's what Disney does. Consume and then just crap loads of stuff for everybody. So yeah, it was, um, it was uh, it was cool. I I I I, I want to play. I don't, <laughs> I don't want, want to, to buy because <laughs> it's too expensive. If I could get it cheap and it was one thing I buy it and I play it and I'm happy, fine. But you know damn well that's not what this is, and I just I can't justify spending that much money on toys, which is too bad. Unless I buy them for my granddaughter and we store them here. They're collector's items. (laughs) Okay. And they also talked about Kingdom Hearts 3. And, you know, I was going to talk about this and then you put it in the show notes and I was like, you bastard, you beat me by a second. (laughs) Go ahead, Vince. Well, just quickly wrapping back around to Disney Infinity, one of the other big things they announced, not big, but in the cultural sense, big, is that 
we're getting bits of Kingdom Hearts in Disney Infinity yeah, as well, yeah, yeah. where if you unlock all the heroes, which I have to imagine equates to buying all the figures, you get a Keyblade item, which is pretty cool. It, it lets us see that maybe they're going to continue expanding Disney Infinity into the Kingdom Hearts brand. But as for Kingdom Hearts itself, the, the third game coming out eventually... They've announced one of the new realms that Sora, Goofy, and Donald are going to be visiting is San Francisco, better known as the world of Big Hero 6, which is pretty cool. Like, at, One of the things I've always liked about Kingdom Hearts is how well they render these characters in the proper art style for the setting. So I can't wait to see Donald and Goofy you know, all Big Hero 6 out. And then they talked about the storyline. Yes. Where the darkness, and the, all the feels, man, all the feels, <laughs> the darkness takes over Baymax's original body that Hero had to leave behind. I, I can't handle it. What I love is that this is the continuation. Well, I love it. I don't. The continuation of Big Hero 6. <laughs> like, yeah. I didn't play the other two. My son did, and he loves him like he's super excited about this and it's like crap ask him to explain the storyline to you so i'm either gonna have to play it myself or just watch him play it because the fact that also, this continues the story man i want to play through this just sit just sit tart and your son down on a skype call <laughs> and let them tell you everything that happens because she has made the executive decision that kingdom hearts 3 when it releases that is going to be the ps4 we buy right because Kingdom Hearts. There you go. So you'll have a PS4 in 2019. Yeah. <laughs> okay, moving on from there very, very quickly. I know I talked a lot about Hex before, and I'm still super excited, but we got a little bit more news showing how much work they're putting into the campaign. And yes. it's actually further ahead than I thought it was. Mm-hmm. I actually was talking with them on Twitter as well, and they're saying like they're working on this pretty much every day. And they, Now that they finally got everything else figured, figured out. out and working, and it, and it does. I'm still playing all the time. Hey, I got a perfect Frost Ring Arena. Did you see my screenshot? That was Of awesome. course I saw your screenshot. And my dungeon crawler loot. Just like I had to scroll roll through all the shit I want. It was awesome. <laughs> but uh, they released a couple of screenshots as well, showing how it's going to work. And, you know, each one of the steps is an encounter. And there's this one here is in the forest. So you're going to get the tunneling rabbits and stuff like that. It's, I'm really digging it. Like, it really sounds like fun. And because I've had so much fun with the Frost Ring Arena, like, it's what I'd hoped it would be. And this is just a, a tournament thing. Like, it's really nothing spectacularly original and there's not a ton of story when it's just the encounters are fun and sometimes a little different and stuff like that and boom that's what this is going to be so i'm super psyched for that i'm also really excited because now i get to play it and i can actually put some time into it yeah oh it's great i need to get in there this weekend and open up all my chests and stuff yeah okay we are going to finish with guild wars 2 because we got some news for this in terms of the revenant now something that i hadn't even thought about exactly it's a new class i thought oh mm-hmm. it's just going to be this new class and it's a it's kind of like almost a hero class kind of thing so it's boom here you go this is what it is enjoy meanwhile all the other classes were getting their elite specializations i hadn't banked on the revenant getting yeah, one as I well figured the revenant was elite enough well Joe, you're going to take this, but Holy I am shit. so excited. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't think I have enough time to go into everything, so I'll try to like keep it brief while still touching on as much as I can. 
yes, this is a hero class. Let's make no mistake about it. And this is a hero class that has a legendary built right on top of it that will interact with every other legendary that will possibly be in this game. Holy hell did they pack this full. And not only did they they pack it full, they did something really cool here. And this is something that I thought was very interesting. It's a protection-based class. Everything about this is about buff and boon. Even their, like, all the specializations, everything about that is about interacting with those around you, uh, not just being, like, a solo badass hero, which is really fucking cool. I don't know about you guys, but I thought that was nifty. You can be mm-hmm. a spectral dragon healer. You can be a spectral dragon healer. <laughs> Done! So Thank you. <laughs> you, could, you can summon shields from the mist to protect your party. You, oh, man. There, there are so many cool things here. There, there are buffs based off of proximity to other party members. Um, there are so many things about manipulating the mists in particular. We, we, we've talked about that in the past, but it's how they do it, whether it's becoming a giant dragon, whether it's summoning uh, a crystalline spear or summoning, like, this huge, wonderful, glint-based bulwark there's so many cool things that they're going to do with this class here that it's it's absolutely amazing and if that wasn't enough you can still do things like blasting shit with elements or you know just doing all sorts of cool things like that i I didn't like you guys i didn't expect this to be as deep as it was and the fact that it harkens back very very deeply to the first game with glint And, like, talking about him gathering the prophecies and and doing everything like that and how interwoven this class is to that. I'm sold. Like, this is absolutely ridiculous. I, we have spent a great many hours, whether on the podcast or out, talking about healing in a variety of games. Because both Joe and I typically play healers. We love playing healers. And there's something that, Again, if you don't understand the allure, you probably never will. It's not for you, and that's fine. We need tanks and we need DPS, but there's something about healing. The problem is is that far too often, the healing mechanics are almost always the same. And on top of that, your DPS tends to suffer so that you can be an effective healer because heaven forbid you be good at both of them because then it's not fair to the dedicated DPS kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So it's one of those things where it's a delicate balance, but as a healer, you still, you want that fun. You want to be able to do both and still have fun kind of thing. And there's some games that get a little closer than others, but this really blew me away. This, the, everything that I read now, I'm going to need to actually see some, some footage of it kind of thing to see how it works out. But knowing what I know about Guild Wars 2 and from what I read here, it just looks like this is going to be a spectacular you're a, healer. You're a, no, no, not just a healer. You're a tanking well, healer. Like, like there's let, let's 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 not let's not okay so guild wars 2 has been one of those games that pushes the traditional spectrum of the classes right mm-hmm. like while every class can heal nobody is really a dedicated healer so there's a lot of interwovenness through it right and we and like roger said we've talked about that this class doesn't just talk about like dpsing you can tank and heal at the same fucking time you are the ultimate protector that is amazing to me because those are two things that are always seen as kind of like separate opposite ends of the spectrum. It's like one, one prevents you from ever getting hit. The other repairs your damage. No, now they're interwoven. They are married. And that is amazing. And you know, the fact that you can throw spears underwater is also really fucking cool. 
All right. Vince, anything to say? No. Nah, you don't care. <laughs> I, it's, it's not that I don't care. It's that yeah, I recognize that it's really cool, but it's not quite fitting for me. Nah. <laughs> nah, that's all me and Roger all day. Start calling you Richard. It's Richard the Warlock. <laughs> and how many NPCs have you set on fire lately? <laughs> Not a lot. Only All right. bad ones. That is going to wrap up the episode. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you didn't listen because of... <laughs> Sorry. Hope you enjoyed our 15-minute episode. I hope you enjoyed the rest. <laughs> it was awesome. It was worth tuning in for and downloading this. But I am going to make sure to put that SWOTOR feature that I talked about for the companion coming in the next expansion. So that's going to be awesome because I am so excited for that. If only Apple and AMD would get their shit together and fix their goddamn drivers so that I could play, that would be nice. But maybe that's asking too much. Anyways, make sure to check at ForTheLore.com for the show notes. Of course, you can find us live at ForTheLore.com slash live once we figure that out because we were having problems with our stream as well. Anyways, you can find us also on Twitter at ForTheLore or individually Joe at Loaders at J, Vince at Simonian, and myself at Zen Buddhist. And you can leave us your thoughts on iTunes and Stitcher, and we will see you guys next week. It was no coincidence that Captain O'Carr had come to Korriban that day. It was a force. No other pilot could have so deftly maneuvered us through that maelstrom. I owe him as much as I owe Master Kao, Grandmaster Satil Shan. As an incentive for subscribing to Star Wars The Old Republic, in advance of the upcoming Knights of the Falling Empire expansion, players have been given several stages of rewards, most related to Nico Okar, the rugged smuggler we first encountered in the cinematic trailer, Return. If you resub prior to the 10th of August, the Gunslinger Companion will be all yours on the 27th of October. If you weren't lucky enough to subscribe, there's still time for some of his gear at least, namely his blaster set, which are quite attractive, if you sub prior to the 31st of August, and his duster coat, which you can slap on, if you sub prior to the 30th of September. Nico is cut from the same cloth as Han Solo, if not in his choice of clothing, at least his personality. He's a smooth-talking, easy-going smuggler who doesn't phase easily and is solid in a gunfight. In the trailer return, Nico is being escorted to a holding cell on the space station over Korriban by not just one, but two Jedi, namely Master Kao and his Padawan, Satil Shan, and not one, but two Republic troopers. This alone should confirm his level of badassery. Apparently, old Nico had been smuggling Sith artifacts off of Korriban. Now, if you're not familiar with the timeline, this occurs during the Great Galactic War. Don't feel bad if you don't know that or what comes next. Hell, I've been playing Star Wars, The Old Republic, and had to research this in order to get the facts straight. And let's be honest, it's possible I missed a few. You see, the Republic didn't realize that the Sith Empire had only just taken a holiday away from Korriban. And when they returned, it was with a battalion ready to destroy anyone in their way. As Nico is being escorted to his cell, Satil, then Kao, sends a dark force approaching. No sooner than their spidey sense goes off than a fleet of very angry old Sith appear, screaming, Get off of our lawn! Kao warns the troops that a message must be sent to the Republic. However, the trooper is quick to point out that there is no way their shuttles can outrun, let alone outmaneuver these gunners. 
And as if on cue, Nico pipes up and tells them that they're lucky that they just happen to have the fastest ship in the sector in docking, his XS stock light freighter, Red Shifter. What follows is one of the coolest theatrics in the entire trailer as Nico slowly walks towards oncoming enemy forces, shooting his blasters as he spins around, his duster flapping majestically, his focused gaze never wavering. Yes, I will freely admit that I have a man crush on Nico and proud of it. Another notable in this firefight is Jace Malcolm, the Republic trooper who also appeared in the trailer Hope, where he went toe-to-toe with some of the nastiest Sith in the game. Once the two are done, they head to Nico's ship just as Malgus and Vinikin arrive. As Master Kawa and Satil Shan fight them, Nico and the troops and the droid T701 prep the ship for takeoff. Incidentally, T7 later becomes a Jedi Knight's companion. Kawa stays behind to give the rest of the crew time to escape with Shan, and a spectacular firefight ensues with Shan and Malcolm on the guns and Nico in the pilot's seat. We see that he is, in fact, one of the best pilots in the galaxy because the shit that he pulls off is insane. As it stands now, we don't know much more about him. Considering the wealth of storytelling involved with most companions, I've no doubt we'll find out more. According to the Star Wars The Old Republic Encyclopedia, he worked for the Hutt Cartel, which isn't unusual for smugglers. And according to a short story published by Bioware, we find out that he sometimes goes by the alias The Snare, and that for whatever reason, he hasn't aged as he should have, which could mean that, like his movie counterpart, he too spent some time in Carbonite, or he may just have gone with cosmetic surgery to keep his rugged good looks in check. Hopefully, we find out in the game. Incidentally, it's worth pointing out that Nico is voiced by the exceptionally talented John DiMaggio, who also voiced General Grievous in the Clone Wars series. Much like Malcolm was meant to represent the trooper class in those early trailers, Nico was meant to represent smugglers, and it worked to great effect as many of us flocked to that class. You will notice a glow off of his bracers and coat and hat, leading us to believe that he also relies on tech as a means of getting out of a tight pinch when his blasters aren't enough. Regardless of what you intend to do with it, be it exploring his backstory or questing with him on various planets, just make sure that when you return to your ship, you let him take the pilot's seat. wasn't even 15 minutes of it it was like maybe 10 minutes maybe well what do you expect man life is well counting the intro they got 15 minutes man that's what happens when you have life is strange man it's one of those games that the more we play the more there is to talk about because our we go deeper down the fucking rabbit hole but also our gameplay experiences are getting much more different with each progressive episode so there's a lot more ground to cover in a discussion that's fair that's really fair. And you know it. what? You know what's interesting to me about this is there's so much more divergence between the three of us than any of the Telltale games. Mm-hmm. Like, like we but there's cover a lot those more choices. Like, but there are so many plot twists. Like, and I'm a guy who loves Twin Peaks. I love that style of storytelling. I love that style of adventure and discovery. And this game is hitting every one of my damn buttons. Yeah, but this these guys are putting in a lot more 
choices than I've seen in any of the Telltale mm-hmm. games. Like they're they're schooling Telltale in one way because mm-hmm. I mean this is damn impressive. That being said, next week uh, we're definitely doing the next Borderlands. It's nice to have something light and fun. Yeah. <laughs> after after this. this, yeah. Okay, boys, that's it. I'll talk to you guys later. 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 That is Bobby. That is Bobby. Thank you for listening to For the Lore. Each week, the show is broadcast live on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern. Stop by forthelore.com slash live to join the conversation and have your thoughts discussed on the show. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Comic Book Informer, a weekly podcast from Vince and Roger, as well as Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, ManelliJamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.